Jessica. And I'm Rico. And this is ATC Presents Debake Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas. Yes. <laughs> Rico, Jessica. how are you? This is uh, our, the inaugural episode. It is the inaugural episode. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, starting a brand new project uh, with something, <laughs> at least for me, that is a bit unknown because yes. I am not as studied on the subject as you are. As yeah. Anyone who listened to our intro episode will know you are very well versed in K-dramas and I am not. So this is, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a very dynamic, a very weird dynamic. Of- it's going to be an interesting episode to say the least, because yeah, you're coming at this from a basically a brand new uh, total novice perspective. And then I've been in the K-drama world <laughs> for like a decade. Anyway. So This should be fun, but if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars go a very long way. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ATC Pod. Lastly, if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash always critic pod. Okay. So today, what are we reviewing, Rico? Today we are reviewing the 2009 K-drama Boys Over Flowers. <laughs> All right. Do you want to give us the uh, Asian wiki synopsis? Yes, I would love to. So (laughs) set at a famous high school for the super wealthy. This is a puppy love story centered on a poor girl and the F4 gang of rich kids headed by the rough and fearless Jumpyo Ku. Yes. (laughs) Now, the next name, I'm having a hard time. Um, Uh, Gumjandi. Gumjandi is a girl from a poor family, but has an unrivaled sense of optimism and drive and is by chance admitted to a prestigious private high school. There she meets the infamous group of four astonishingly good looking and rich boys who are known (laughs) as F4. The group's leader is Ku Jumpyo, who is spoiled, who is a spoiled heir to a world leading conglomerate, uh, Xinhua. Yeah. He is joined by mysterious and breathlessly handsome <laughs> Yeon ji So Li-jung, and Song Wu-bin. Yep. Their love story moves from Seoul to New Caledonia, Caledonia. to Macau. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and say really quick, I am going to struggle with some of the names. It's so fine. I have you here as my we backup. Are, we here. are not Korean and we did not grow up speaking Korean. We don't currently speak Korean. So, yes, we're going to struggle through the names. We want to apologize ahead of time to every actor and every character in this show. Um, yeah. So you said earlier it aired originally from January to March 2009. This is unusually long. Uh it's 25 episodes long instead of the usual 16 to 20 episodes of uh, of K-drama. That's very typical to have 16 right. to 20. Um, this was directed by Jung Ki-sang. Ki uh, he also directed Sassy Girl Chun-hyang, My Girl from 2005, and To the Beautiful You in 2012. Those are really impressive shows and well-known. Um, before we get started, we have to set the record straight. So, Boys Over Flower is based on the Japanese manga Hana Yori Dango, 
which ran from March 1992 to August 03. So that's a lot. It's a long time that that manga was was serialized. Um, and I think what we're all here for this stars Lee Min Ho as Gu Jun Pyu, Gu Hye Seon, I think. Anyway, she plays Gum Jandi. Kim Hyun Jung plays Yoon Ji Woo. He's the violin. He's the violin. I call him boy. violin boy. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Kim Kim Bom plays So So Lee Jung. That's the pottery boy. And then Kim Jun plays Song Woo Bin, and that's the gangster boy. <laughs> oh my god. So um this Boys Over Flowers, how can I put this to you, Rigo? Like it was a phenomenon. It completely obliterated like the ratings and it was insanely popular back in the day and even now today. I wonder if I could put it into context for non-Korean, you know, n- people who have not watched K-dramas. Yeah. Maybe something that we're familiar with as Hispanics. Uh, do you remember Rebelde? Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Back, back in like the <laughs> late 2000, early 2010s, it oh was this... God soap opera pretty much yes. that spawned a musical group and like they were huge and so mm-hmm. maybe this yeah. is what we're in the it's similar exactly, ballpark it's very similar it's in that ballpark um boys over flowers made everybody in it famous mm. um i think the other day uh Hison came on and was doing an interview and she said that she was actually still living off of the earnings that she made off boys over flowers which is insanity that's insane to, to live for a decade, more than a decade, and not have to worry about money because that, you just did this one hit show and you're done. That's awesome. <laughs> that is great. Is that amazing? I wish. And then Lee Min Ho has gone on to do so much. He's insanely famous, um, ridiculously good looking. Like, I know that it's kind of hard to picture him as being attractive, but like, honest to God, this is probably the worst he's ever looked in Boys Over Flowers and a and mi- even then, miracle. And even then, miracle that he made he made it. He's the most famous one out of the entire cast. I would I would, you know, be so bold as to say. And it was so popular it spawned even uh, other uh, adaptations of Hana Yoridango. Um I want to say the first adaptation was in 95, which was a Japanese film. Then it spawned the J-drama from 2005 Hana mm. Yoridango same name. And then they started doing sequels. So Hana Yoridango Returns in 2007 and Hana Yoridango Final in 2008, which I watched all of those are amazing. Totally different vibe, like completely different culture and style of acting. And then we have Meteor Garden in 2001, which was the the T-drama, Taiwanese drama. That spawned two sequels, including the Netflix original show from 2018, which is basically a remake and it's really really good if you guys have netflix out there i highly recommend you to go watch meteor garden from 2018 it's actually excellent so that being said rico what did you think of boys over flowers okay so this is my first experience (laughs) with a k-drama i had never watched a k-drama uh but the concept at least how you described it to me before i went into it it kind there's different styles, obviously, of different types of shows. So there could be a mystery one. There could be a thriller. There could be a classic, you know, set in olden times. Like there could be different styles. So this first oh, one. Oh, of K-drama. Of yes. K-dramas. Sorry. Uh, 
so this one you did mention is a high school set, you mm-hmm. know, like comedy, romance, you know, all that, all that entangles. Yes. Uh, so I, I kind of went in it with a, at least a sense of, okay, I think I know what I'm going to get here. We're going to get some tomfoolery in high school. <laughs> uh, we're going to have, uh, you know, an odd couple situation mm. and, you know, they don't like each other at first, but then they'll. They'll grow yes. to, you know, common trope. Yeah, yeah, common trope in anything, really. Mm-hmm. So I went in with it, and so this this show is weird <laughs> to me uh, as a first timer because okay, it is. What's the word I want to use? I think the word <laughs> I want to use in a lot of it is cheesy. Oh uh, yes, it, it, okay. Because there are moments where. It, like they the best thing I could describe is when they walk in the F4, they walk mm. in for the first time into the school and like yes. this rock music is like playing behind <laughs> them and they're in slow motion. And I, I'm i pretty sure it didn't happen, but it feel like a dove was flying through there. But <laughs> it, it was so overproduced, the introduction yes. to them. And yeah. there's a lot of moments like that that just feel like over the top. And yes. so at first I found it amusing, but as the show went on, it f- started to get annoying mm. uh, to me because it felt a little too childish at times. Right. Um, okay. And so and then there's like a whiplash of like tones that the show has. Mm-hmm. So certain moments, there's like a, a tenderness between two characters where they're starting to understand each other. And then the very next moment, we're thrown into... A par- almost a parody style uh, reaction, like with the girls who are the bullies, like the girls who like adore F4. Yes. Um, they, you know, it's like whiplash. They, when they come, they just attack the girl, you know, verbally or whatever. But it's always in this v- almost over the top cartoonish way. So, uh-huh. and that's how a lot of the show feels to me is that everything feels over the top. There's so many random scenes of them doing certain activities that I'm just like, where the hell did this come from? (laughs) So a lot of that, that's what I got out of it. Um, I guess the main thing that I really want to touch on is the main stars of the show. Okay. So we have obviously the boy and the girl. Uh, Yes. We have the two of them, John D and Junpyo. Yeah. So... Junpyo, I don't really have too much of a problem with, although, you know, like it takes too long for him to evolve from being Ah, a jerk to caring for Jandi. But at the same time, Jandi can be a very annoying character. She spends (laughs) half the time yelling. Yes, she screams a lot. She screams a lot, just yelling at people for doing something or whatever. And yeah, that could get a little irritating. So I found it such a struggle, and I'm going to go ahead and let people know now, this was a chore for me to get through that I didn't even fully get through all 25 episodes. I got up to 19. And like I I couldn't Mm. further go through it. Okay. And I want to apologize right now because (laughs) I just could not work up enough to... Six more episodes, I, I couldn't do it. This, this show is beloved, okay? Beloved. And people look back on the show with fond memories and they love it. It's, it's, you know, iconic. That being said, I watched this show originally in the 
around 2011, 2012, when I was first starting to watch K-drama. And I remember feeling like this was really um, jarring and a lot of it didn't make sense to me and a lot of the cultural bits didn't click for me. But I liked it and I it sat really well with me. I left feeling like it was a great show and I want to watch more K-drama. So since then, I think I watched it one or two more times. And then this watch was my third or fourth time watching the show. And I have to say this watch was extremely painful for me. Um, It was a huge fall from grace. Um, I feel like I had the show up on a pedestal. I... The rose-colored glasses came off. Rose-colored glasses came off. I was so sad to realize that this show is, like, downright bad in places. Like, really annoying, like you said, and grinding, and it was tough to get through. And I will say that after a certain point, it became kind of easier for me to finish watching. And, of course, I watched all 25 episodes. But, honestly, like, my opinion of Boys Over Flowers has dropped tremendously on this watch. I I feel terrible. I feel like a bad K-drama <laughs> fan because this is... This is bread and butter. This is just, you know, Titanic. It's, you know, when Harry met Sally, it's just like, you know, great. A staple of the genre. It is. It is. And I, I'm sorry, it just didn't hold up. It was terribly dated. The outfits were atrocious. The acting was overdone. And I understand, like, I think I had to tell you that this, the tonal shifts in this are really they rock you but at the same time it's kind of part of the genre as well to have light bits and dark bits and to have a romance in set in high school equals a lot of shenanigans a lot of you know ridiculous um you know stuff going on right however like this was on another level it was harsh it was a harsh you know watch oh my gosh i feel terrible saying all this and um, i don't know if i influence that in any way because i would give you updates here and there of, yeah like, i was like where are you through. i'm here and you were like oh i just got to here and it's so bad <laughs> and, uh, like <laughs> you know you would say little things and i'd be like oh my god and i remember telling you like stick with it the stakes are gonna get higher it's gonna get better they're gonna you know it's they're gonna move away from the high school stuff and they do to a certain degree but it's just just so painful to get there and it's just bad i i mean what did you give this out of five stars out of five i gave it a two yeah yeah okay i gave it a two. so i gave it like a three out of five and that's being generous truly um I felt like it was a two out of five for me as well. If you had asked me in 2012, what would you rank this? I would be like four and a half out of five, 100%. I would feel like it was top tier. But I think since then, my palate has refined. Better shows have come out. I've watched Lee Min Ho and a dozen other things. Um, and same with the, the other actors and um, you know side characters. The actors have gone on to do much better things. Right. So I feel terrible in like coming back to this like ground zero and it's just such a bad foundation. <laughs> so uh, that being said, why don't we uh, get into some spoilers and talk more about Boys Over Flowers? Uh, 
Okay, so why don't we start at the beginning? Um, episode one, we get introduced to F4 in a really backward way because this kid opens his locker. It's It's got an F4 skull and crossbones red card. Yes. Essentially the black spot in, you know, piracy terms. Gives the entire school license to exact a hit on him, beating him to within an inch of his life. I don't. No, I didn't get this. I, okay, so no teachers, professors, administration, or security at the school. And we are also introduced to the school through this newscast where it's a really prestigious school. It's only for the top 1% or whatever of Korea. Xinhua High School. So then you see this bullying happen. And it is really weird, right? Yeah. It's I felt like it w- didn't make any sense. I Obviously, American schools have bullying of their own, but I don't ever see them go to this extent right. of bullying. Uh, sure, there's minor cases here and there where you know things get a little too over the top. But yeah, I've never seen hazing or bullying of this kind where they're basically beating the shit out of this guy. And it looks like it's a Tuesday, like, you know, yeah, like very casual. The students seem happy to engage in this kind of yeah, violence. They're, they're all in like everyone yeah. worships this group and are willing to do anything this group does, even if it means like this student who is in danger. Yeah. His life is in danger. <laughs> yes. No, so they're cool I want to touch weird. on this too. This I want to touch on this right off the bat because I feel like in the U.S., yes, we have bullying. Yes, there's hazing. Yes, people get hurt sometimes or commit suicide sometimes. But in Korea, I feel like a lot of the storylines have a bullying aspect. And to me, it seems like bullying is really pervasive over there, that this is like something that the school administration and the teachers and the parents largely either ignore or don't and nothing is done about it. It's like a systemic thing that happens over there. Right. And so, I can't remember seeing a teacher. No. In my you time. do not see a you professor. Don't see a I think professor. one in a later episode and it was like a random white dude <laughs> like teaching a business class to so sim- one like just at four of themselves. Like just the four <laughs> of them. So anyway, um, the kid ends up on the roof. Jandi gets introduced. She is trying to find her laundry customer, finds him on the edge of the roof and doesn't realize the precariousness of the situation. It takes her a second to see that he is suicidal, which to me is ridiculous. How can you go all the way up to the roof where there's like a kerfuffle? You see the students gathering and there's this kid on the edge bloody beat up and she's like oh i'm here i'm here to deliver your laundry like it just made her look it made her look like a fool right and like later in the show you kind of see that she is foolish but she's not a fool right She, she has this characteristic of being able to stand up for what she believes is right and Mm -hmm. she's perceptive of stuff so the fact that in that episode the very first episode she's it's like everything went over her head for that moment like yeah i'm just here to deliver your laundry it's like yeah i need to get paid and it's like this guy's about to jump off the roof yeah you don't see this guy like about to commit suicide so she does end up saving him which was 
funny because then they like snap and somebody took a professional photo of her yeah. <laughs> like catching this dude <laughs> as he goes over. Um, we're introduced to the concept of netizens and public backlash. People protesting. The top 1% of Korea being exempt from college entrance exams and military service because of money. This is a real thing that happens over there. Right. Where I feel like in Korea there is a culture of protest. A culture of we're going to gather, we're going to protest, we're going to make the signs, we're all going to match and wear the same vest and we're going to protest until something is done about it. Public backlash is very real over there. This was 2009. Right. Way before the protests that are happening now and, um, you know, really in 2020 in the U.S. And so it's interesting to see that the suicide and the bullying and this whole rich entitlement concept, the people at the same time, they hate that. But you see through Jandi's family and everyone who surrounds her that they want to be in Shinwa High School. They want to be part of this 1%. They really want to marry into it or somehow make it so that they are part of this elite group. So yeah. it's a weird duality. It's in a weird this duality. Now, yes. uh, Jandi is not part of that wanting to be in like high society or be in that private school. She actually mm-hmm. resists when she yeah. is given the opportunity. She is selected as a way of uh, good PR, pretty much. The, exactly. Because it's a company that owns the school. It's under yeah. the name of Shinwa Company. So think of like a conglomerate. I don't know if you, there is a conglomerate here in the U.S. other than maybe Disney. So Disney is as close to a conglomerate as you can get, where they have their hand in a lot of different industries, NBC mostly Universal, entertainment. Viacom. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I know what you're but, saying. You can understand it's basically a communications conglomerate. Disney is yeah. now. So if Disney was owned by the Disney family. Right. And they started a Disney school, Disney high school or whatever. Right. And it's Dis- only for the top 1%. Right, exactly. And <laughs> that is what the Shinwa richest and yes. yeah, the richest people go there. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I understand the concept, so, but it's so weird to me because, it's uh, you know, because it's named after the company. You know, yes. so the company runs the school for this top one percent. They own all this other stuff everywhere. So yeah. it's a weird concept, but it's not <laughs> that far strange. Disney right now, the only thing they're missing is creating a school. So <laughs> right. that's all that's all they need. So, yes. And it's not just a high school. It's like Shinwa University as well. Oh, God. Can you which imagine? is like a Harvard type deal? Yeah. The Walt Disney so- score of imagination. <laughs> Stop it because it's going to happen. Anyway, so then we get introduced to F4 on her first day of school. Yes, the angelic effect of them in the slow-mo and the metal music. So iconic. It's painful, but it's iconic. Um, I like the girl who baked a cake for Junpyu, which is clearly (laughs) (laughs) store-bought. And then he shoves it in her face. Yes. It's It's such a character driver where you're like oh i see like what he's about because he tramples all over her sincerity and her feelings and that's what the idea of, of the cake is like if he had accepted it he would accept her feelings right as well so and he can't be out here accepting just any girl's no. feelings so no he's not gonna reciprocate or no. or um accept her feelings so instead he decides to shove it in her face <laughs> just evil it's just evil sure (laughs) yeah 
Um, June, uh, Jandi makes a friend at school, and the friend drops ice cream on Junpyu's shoe. So Junpyu says, "Lick the ice cream off the shoe." Get the hell out of here, bro. Get the hell out of here, bro. Like what he's I remember watching that for the first time and thinking, oh, "What the hell is he talking about? Lick the ice cream off the shoe." That's going to be a no from me, dog. No. And <laughs> honestly, like there's no reason why Jandi should like Junpyu at this point. And no. really at many points of the show because he's so terrible to her and to everybody. Um Junpyu, it turns out, is really an awkward virgin who gets pleasure from bullying others since he's largely neglected at home. Right. But he's also kind of charming and funny because he fudges common idioms. And that's hard to understand with the subtitles and being from America, is that he is messing up common idioms throughout the whole show. And they call it, they're like, isn't it this? Isn't it that? Didn't you get that wrong? I think he meant this. And they're constantly saying that. And that's part of what makes him like endearing. Right. Did you get that throughout the show? Actually, that he I was kind of I actually what? didn't. I had a hard time picking up on that. Yeah. Uh, Which yeah. we don't know Korean idioms, number one. Right. So <laughs> so when they would say something and somebody would question it, I thought they were just questioning, you know, something maybe that we didn't see on screen or whatever <laughs> but i wasn't understanding if they were questioning idiom so that's something that went over my head okay so since episode one he's doing that Got and it. that kind of makes him it's basically a chink in the armor he is almost very innocent about his approach to to girls and romance and everything else which you can get through the rest of the show but right. the idioms thing is also thrown on top of that for good measure I had a revelation while I was watching Boys Over Flowers this time. Okay. Okay. So it's Mean Girls, except boys, and Regina is Junpyu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. So like in Mean Girls, Mrs. Norbury, which is Tina Fey, says of the girls, I think they're pretty pleased with themselves at some point. So <laughs> <laughs> she calls them Mean Girls. Um I think they're pretty pleased with themselves. And that's what I see with Junpyu. He thinks he's hot shit and he's not self-loathing at all, which is how we've been taught to perceive bullies. Right. Um, he's not self-loathing. I feel like in 2009, this is revolutionary surrounding the psychology of bullies. He's untouchable. His family literally owns the school and he's just been rewarded for bad behavior his whole life. Yeah, his whole life. And yeah. you just see it the way he treats... Uh, not only his friends, so-called friends, uh, not only the people at his school, but even the people who work for him at his house, his, his servants, maids, butlers, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. He is just the utmost jerk to everyone. Mm -hmm. And such an entitled jerk, too, yeah. that it makes it hard to root for him because, like, it, it's very few of the moments that he's endearing enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what I'm. What thinking. did you think of Violin Boy? Okay, so I honestly, when the show started, I thought he was going to be the one that centered no around because of the way they introduced. They introduced that character like with the slow mo, and he's like playing the violin, and then there's like in the background you hear them talking about him and how he lost his parents and all this and that. So. I thought, oh, so this is who we're going to center around. Wow. And I thought 
Junpyo was going to be the one that kind of just dri- drove uh-huh. a wedge in between them, you know? And wow. maybe would create a triangle, love triangle later yeah. on. But I didn't think it was going to be Junpyo who was going to be the center of the show. I didn't think that oh at first. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. shook. I'm shook because I remember watching for the first time and didn't think that Violin Boy was going to be the main lead. I just knew. I don't okay. know why. I just knew that, you but just I did. Knew it. Yeah. Right from the um, get go. Okay. But that's so interesting that you were like, okay, so this is a very good second male lead. I just have to say. Um, this is a whole thing in K drama where you have um, a leading man who is terrible (laughs) all signs point to you should not be with this dude and this there's a second male lead who is better just are you know arguably a better person a better character for the leading lady but she doesn't choose him no i thought it was going to be like the mysterious type because that's what it played out to be well what i thought was going to play in the first like couple episodes He's like this mysterious one who would, you know, like you don't really know too much about him. And he's like super secretive. Silent. Silent type. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, he's a jerk because he's with F4. But on the side, he would be very caring and sweet and all this. That's where I thought it was leaning into. But what do you think of his style and the hair? Uh, The hair in the show (laughs) is uh, it is something else, man. It is awful. The just like dismal. it looks like they just like straight up ironed his hair to f- yeah. go in one way. Uh, like three of the guys have similar hairstyles, but then Jumpio, <laughs> Jumpio as Ooh. the girls, yeah, they permed his hair. Yeah, they permed his hair, and, and it is the show makes a point of trying to convince us that it's naturally curly. <laughs> Which is so off the wall. Like, how dare you insult my intelligence? <laughs> that that oh. curl is natural. Natural so, my ass. I think that the worst offender to me was always Violin Boy. His style was super oh, yeah, femme. No. Yeah. The hair was really orange and yeah. wispy what and was long. What was the color of that? I don't get it. It was weird. So I never liked it. Um, but, you know, it worked in 2009, I guess. In episode two, Jumpyo orders three guys to scare Jandi, and yeah. they attack her in the locker rooms at school, and she nearly gets raped. Not okay. No. Awful. Awful. Um, I kind of like when, like, they come back later, and they talk to Jumpyo, and they're like, um, <laughs> he's like, I didn't ask you to do that. I just asked you to, like, scare her. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like, we just were going to go 100 and, and rape her. <laughs> like... Ridiculous. That's never, they never circle back on that. No, they never do. No. Violin dude saves her. (laughs) Like, very, he's like, why are you, I love how he saves her. He puts a towel around her. The guy's still, the two guys or three guys are still holding her down. Holding her down. So they're, and he starts talking about, oh, do you know how to make pancakes or some shit like that? Because he's obsessed with making pancakes. Well, no, (laughs) because he was following the recipe. And he realized that <laughs> it doesn't taste the way that it says. And yes. then Jandi like gives him like a clue, like, "Oh, 
it's missing this. Yes. So because she gave she told him how to make pancakes. He tried it. It didn't turn out well. And then he comes back and he's like, yo, you're you're giving me the wrong ingredients list or something. Right. <laughs> and this is all in, in a momento that, that like she's still held down on the floor. And I love how he just turns to the guys and he's like, what? You're still here. Right. And then they take off. <laughs> like We're if just, they needed to wait, like, what yeah, the like, going on? what is this weird moment? So rumors circulate that John D is pregnant. And the yes. whole school slut shames her. Good Lord. June Pugh comes off as very petulant throughout this whole time. <laughs> so <laughs> petulant that she shows up and roundhouse kicks him in the face. And his follow-up reaction is, she wants me. Oh, my God, <laughs> dude. Which is meant for comedy. His delusion is supposed to be funny. Because he thinks, oh, my God, she loves me. <laughs> oh, my God. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, in response, he has his people chloroform her, kidnap her on off the school grounds, and they have a makeover at his house. The makeover costs a hundred grand. <laughs> Good lord. And that's kind of the intro to the the Gujum Pyo's estate, if you will, where he lives and everything. And a lot of things happen at the estate. They keep calling her commoner throughout the whole thing, which is so mean. Have you ever called commoner, uh, called someone commoner, thought someone was a commoner or had someone call you a commoner? That is a very rich thing to say. So instead of calling someone poor, like just flat out, just calling them poor, like they'll just code it with commoner. Commoner. Uh, no, I've never used that term. That stuck no. out to me tremendously on this watch that they were constantly calling her a commoner. Which, in what in what mind would you call someone a commoner? Like never. They're crazy. They're out of their minds. Um, I kind of thought on this watch that Violin Boy June was on the autism spectrum, except the friends make it seem like all of his symptoms manifested. After the traumatic car accident that killed his parents, Hmm. which I thought was stupid because that's not how autism works. I thought. However, I saw an article that said PTSD may mimic autism in some children. So he just had PTSD. Right. And it manifested in autistic symptoms. Which is. So I was half right. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Right. You were half right on that, Mm -hmm. which is still not very clear that they got to that but okay sure yes so june pew gets attacked by a flying cockroach and falls in the pool and starts drowning because he can't swim he has a childhood trauma yep john d pulls him out of the water by herself have you ever tried to pick someone up like even off the floor when they're yeah. dead weight like that? Yeah. And so John D. picking up the over six foot tall <laughs> Lee Min Ho is outrageous. Hilarious. Hilarious. She starts doing CPR on him. He pulls a freaking squints from the sandlot <laughs> and pretends to be unconscious oh while she does god. mouth to mouth. Oh my god. Which is that scene is now called into question now as sexual harassment, but or assault. But um, it's still funny. It's I think it's still kind of funny. Um, yeah, he it does go a little too far though because she 
is try like screaming and saying, I don't want to. And he's like trying to kiss her at some point, not at this pool scenario, but later. Yeah. Later on. Because he has feelings for her and she's obviously not reciprocating. No, she's not. So he, he tries to like come onto her and like, she's like, no, and like, I don't want to. And then he leaves her a sobbing mess, which is messed up again. Why she gets with Junpyu is like beyond me. Um, I don't get it. Yeah. It's really crazy. It, I know. It's one of those things that I I was just watching the show and just trying to figure out what is it about this guy that she eventually turns and begins to like him. I never found a reason to like him. Like in that way, in that in mm-hmm. for her to get with him. So it was weird. So switching gears, Violin Boy is hung up on his first love, who is essentially an older sister type, Anuna. Right. She leaves to go to Paris, announces that she's not coming back to Korea, and Violin Boy is torn up. Yes. John D gets in the middle and says, please don't go. He's going to be heartbroken. To the girl who gave her shoes and like helped her out of the party and stuff. Right. She's a model. <laughs> this show was interesting so, because it introduces people randomly. Mm-hmm. Like there, yeah. a brand new character was introduced like in episode 12 and I'm like... What the hell? Like we're <laughs> halfway through this and we're still introducing new people. It was yes. very jarring to me. So they see her off to the airport and then Violin Boy follows and he's like, I'm going to like five minutes later. And Junpyu and Jandi are like catching a ride together. Like she's riding in his like Lambo or whatever it is. And they're watching the planes take off. And he leans over and tells her something. Except the roar of the planes drowns him out. Yes. <laughs> they repeat later that gag. Oh, God. Which is so great that like something, some noise is happening and she like cannot hear what he says. And he holds her to what he said is great. I like that part. I actually think that's good comedy. <laughs> so it ends up being that he uh, invites her on a date. Well, demands that she goes on a date. With right. Him. Because it's not really asking. It's really telling No, her. it's really telling her to show up at Namsan Tower. She spends the day at the supermarket supermarket with her mom doing what looks like Black Friday shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and the first snow happens. Did you realize when you were watching the, the show that the first snow is very important in Korean culture? No, I didn't okay. realize that it was something important. Like, I understand... The first snow of a season, people get yeah. excited about that, but I, I didn't know it was important. So the first snow is usually on a romantic note. People usually try to hang out or get with their uh, significant other, their crush, their um, boy- boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever on the first snow and have a date mm. because it's just inf- like r- infinitely more romantic with Magical. experiencing the first snow with your, your lover or whatever. Gotcha. And so it starts to snow. And she realizes, oh, shit, I missed the date. <laughs> and she thinks to herself, oh, he can't still be there. Plot twist, he is still there. She goes to Namsan Tower and they have their first date, essentially. Um, and it's very memorable. I feel like I remember this part way more than anything that happened before that, where they get stuck, stuck in the gondola. Yeah, in the gondola. Yeah, and that he was gets very memorable. sick. Yeah, he gets very sick all of a sudden because he waited out in the snow for hours. And he's like, I've never waited for anything, which is like a, such a concept, right? Where he's like, I, well, I've never waited for anything. This was special to me 
to come on a date in public in, in a, you know, in this place and wait for you. Right. Isn't it? I mean, I thought that was really profound, too. Well, yeah, because it's it's someone who's never he he's been catered to his entire life. So mm-hmm. everything immediately, as soon as he asks for it, it's yes. given to him, you know. So yeah. the fact that he was willing to wait mm-hmm. shows that there's at least a bit of growth there. He Yes, exactly. And he's kind of coming. I don't want to say coming down to her level, but meeting in the middle. Right. Uh-huh. So he later uh, comes back to school. It. They she gets railroaded into being his girlfriend. Um, Ridiculous. After yes. paparazzi photos of them looking close emerge and rumors circulate, he doesn't deny the rumors but confirms that they are together. Oh God. She uh, he ends up trying to pull a Danny Zuko because he starts dressing in the school uniform and straightening his hair. Yeah, <laughs> like, like changing his look. I, I remember that. I was just like, oh boy, yeah. I don't know which one's worse, but I, I think know. we need to go back. Exactly. So Jandi gets slut shamed again after pictures surface of her in bed with some rando. She ends up getting drugged, roofied, and instead of Junpyu believing her when she says she doesn't know what's going on, and that's it's not what it seems, that's what she said. I think somebody tricked me. Direct quote. He berates her for being a loose woman and annuls their relationship in front of everyone. Which today, in 2021, that's a crazy case of victim blaming. And it's yeah. not not remotely okay. No, it's not. No. So then there's a tomato party for John D. The entire school makes her launch headfirst over her bike. Like they, t- they um, put like a, a tension wire yeah. and make her like fall flip head over. over. Head, yeah, yeah, flip over. They set her bike on fire. I, I, oh my God. I, I mean, it's no words, right? John D's evil friend, who was her best friend, ended up plotting against her. She gets brought before Junpyu and recounts this cruel flashback of him calling her ugly and being cruel to her as a child. I like what he says, though. He says, I don't remember it, but I did something to be sorry for. Which, again, shows right. a little bit of growth. Obviously, he a doesn't forgive her. No, he doesn't forgive her for what he did to Jandi, but he's like, you know, I did something to be sorry for as a child, and this is why you're all messed up right now. Shopping spree, then a vacation in New Caledonia. A fortune teller in a dream that Jandi has tells her on the island with her with her that she's on the island with her soulmate and her future husband, who are two different men. And that is the thesis of the whole show. Of the whole show. Of the whole love triangle is that Junpyu is her lover, but Violin Boy is her soulmate. I thought that's where they were going to go early. I thought that's (laughs) how they were going to do the show. That's where I Mm -hmm. thought it was going to go. But... They introduce the concept, but that's not how they, they end up in with the people. They end up there very vaguely, yes. but they don't really explore it too much. So a lot of drama happens. Jandi kisses violin boy. Junpyu breaks up with her, decides to break up F4. Then we get Junpyu's sister intro. She comes in to solve basically the problem of F4 breaking up, which is a huge deal. Um, she tells them that whoever wins... Best two out of three of a series of challenges 
will get to do what they want, which is either they get to veto Junpyu's wish to kick Violin Boy out of F4 and Jandi out of school. So is this where they do the the race on <laughs> the course? Yes. And they do the horse race as well? No, wait. Was it so a So they race? do the three challenges are horseback riding. Oh, Jesus, yes. Junpyu won by cheating the course. <laughs> he ran his horse into the ground to the point where the horse had to be put down. Then there's a car race. Violin Boy wins after getting inside Junpyu's head by hugging and kissing Jandi in front of Junpyu, which psychs him out and he like messes up. And even though he knows how to drive better than Violin Boy, Violin Boy actually had this whole trauma they went into. Yeah. Because his parents died in a horrific car crash. And so he doesn't drive. He drives a motorcycle. And then the final challenge, which is swimming. Yeah. Guys. um, This is this. (laughs) I I was laughing so hard. It's so funny. Because it's so Um, out of nowhere. It is out of nowhere. Hey, let's get into like these really expensive cars and drive around like it's Gran Turismo. And like... (laughs) It's ridiculous. And then, oh, let's have a race on horses through the outback of like this. Snow. <laughs> it was snowing, right? Like it was snowing. It was cold. It yeah. was cold. There was snow. And we're just going to have a course that we're going to race through. And of course, Junpyo cheats. Yes. So it was so ridiculous, though. I want to <laughs> so touch funny. on this. It was funny as hell. But like and, and stupid, like it was really stupid to resolve this issue that way. But right, I guess they had to do something physical. Um, so Jandi's parents are upset because they find out that she might be kicked out of school, not because of the devastating consequences to her future if she gets expelled from an elite school. No, no. But because she'd lose any chance of being with a billionaire like Junpyu and the dry cleaner business would suffer because the cheating scandal would that wasn't really a cheating scandal would dry up their business. (laughs) I think it's so sad. Like her family is is so low class. So I have to say they're very low class and everything about them is like they go. It's just cheap. Like I don't mean to say that as like disparaging. I mean it like they crafted a family that is so beyond low class. Like everything they do. Everything is just a weak like attempt. And like. I don't think Junpyu is like necessarily like portrayed as the richest person ever. Sure, they go on lavish vacations. They go to New Caledonia and like he lives in Macau and stuff like that. But right, but the family that she's coming from is very much like a gold digging kind of family. Yeah, because they're like, yes, everything is you're going to Shinwa and you can marry a rich man. <laughs> exactly, you can yeah. ri- marry a rich man. You're. It's all about appearances for this family. They want. Mm their daughter to appear more than what they are. Mm-hmm. And so it at first it was like, oh, I see. They want to get out of their slumps. But over a certain point, it, it's driven into like, no, these people are just superficial mm-hmm. and they don't really care about what their daughter actually thinks. They just want to be in the limelight, really. Mm-hmm. Or they want to be part of that class of people. They mm-hmm. adore and they worship all these people like uh, Jumpyo's family and their status. It's it, it's pretty yeah. infuriating. Like it is, it is. Especially because she's when, gonna get kicked out, and they're like, 
you'll never, what about June Pew? And it's like, what about June Pew? That is it's not saying, what we should be focusing on mm-hmm. right now, buddy. I but. know. So June Pew shows up at her house, begs her not to compete in the final, <laughs> in the final challenge of swimming. She says no. And he says, you've lost your last chance. I won't watch over you anymore. And she says, that's what I wanted. But when he leaves, she starts saying to herself, I won't regret it. I won't regret it. I'll never regret this. Trying to convince herself that she right. made the right decision. That she made the right decision. Yes. So Jumpy is the one that basically cuts the lights during the final lap of the swim. So no one knows who won. Who won, right. And so it's basically that's the end of the conflict. Jandi gets to stay in Shinwa High and F4 stays together. There was one moment where they played basketball. Was this before or after? They were no, playing no, this basketball. This is after. Okay. This is after. So. Because I had to laugh at that too. Yeah. So Violin Boy and Jandi try and make it. They go on a date. It goes okay. Kind of mediocre. She feels nostalgic for the date she went on with June Pew. And so the date that she's having with Violin Boy starts to take a down, downward turn. She's distracted. June Pew is stalking them, <laughs> by the way. They end up at Violin Boy's house. He tells her he feels very comfortable around her and that she's warm. He tries to kiss her, but she dodges it and changes the subject. So it ends up being that they kind of thank each other for being there for each other, essentially. Like, thank you for being my first love. You were a great first love. (laughs) Now it's time to move on. And while Violin Boy puts his head on Jandi's shoulder, she thanks him and she kind of realizes that she's not in love with him anymore. Like she's in, actually in love with June Pew, which is insane. Doesn't make sense, but <laughs> Doesn't okay. Make sense. <laughs> okay, madam. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole subplot now. I feel like we're in like maybe almost halfway through the show. It's this world around episode 11. She goes out for a modeling job because she, her family, she's always looking for part-time jobs and money and stuff. And she ends up modeling with a new kid in school. Right. Again, a new person just Which is a whole introduction of another character. And long story short, it ends up being like kind of a competition for Junpyu. He finds him a threat to his love affair with Jandi. And he ends up like the model kid ends up kidnapping Jandi. Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make sense why. No. Like, I don't get why they kidnapped Johnny. So it was more clear on this watch, but basically he kidnaps her on behalf of Junpyu's mom. Um, she apparently thought it was a great idea to have a teenager commit a crime for her. <laughs> Yeah, because she doesn't want she wants John D out of the picture. Right, she doesn't want her because again, she's a quote unquote commoner. Mm -hmm. So, Mamagu, I'm gonna call her Mamagu. That's Junpyu's mom. Um, does a lot of things to push the plot forward, and this is where the stakes get higher. So she tries to pay off John D's family, and insults John D by calling her a weed in front of her parents. Did you get that insult, by the way? Uh, not really. So Jandi, her name, I believe, means grass. Oh. And so, or to something to that effect. Makes and sense. And so 
when the mom was saying you have to pull weeds, you know, get them out or whatever, she's really seeing that Jandi is a weed, not like a benign kind of grass. Right. No, no. And she must be ripped out from Junpyu's life because she's a weed. So it is a play on words. And that's why her mom is like, did you just <laughs> did you just call her a weed? <laughs> Because now she she realizes the insult. Now she realizes it. Okay. Yeah. And now I so, realize it too. And now you realize it too. So in retaliation for that whole debacle with a mom putting, I think it was salt all over her. Like she threw salt all over her. E, I, I can't remember if it was salt or rice. I think it was salt, not rice. It was like a grain or something. Yeah. But basically like, get out of my house. How dare you insult my daughter? And all this stuff. Um, we're not going to accept your money because she tried to pay them off. Right. She tried to pay them off. Mama Goo puts Jandi's laundry out of business and calls in all of Jandi's father's debts. Her father is a serial gambler, a serial um, uh, borrower. So he's yes. constantly borrowing money. Constantly. All of his all of his debts get called in. So basically the family goes bankrupt overnight because of her relationship with Junpyu and the mother being a total witch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is when I was saying now she hires high school thugs with a grudge against Junpyu to kidnap Jandi, which makes so little sense. Because why would you hire people that do dislike her son to kidnap Jandi? Right. That doesn't make sense. But again, when you're more focused on trying to get rid of something or someone, you're not really yeah. thinking of how properly you're doing it anyway. So the real halfway point of the mo- of the movie of the of the show is Junpyu's father suddenly dies, and right. Junpyu leaves for Macau. Exactly to take over the family business. Yeah, he becomes the new head of the company. Right. So, and he tells her, "You know, I love you. I'll wait for me. I'm coming back or whatever." I, there's a time jump of, I want to say, six months or something. Yeah, because there was, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but we we do get to a point where they say it's been so long since I've yes. seen you and stuff like that. Yeah. So it ends up being that Jandi's like, I'm going to go to Macau and I'm going to confront him and I'm going to see what's up because I don't know where our relationship stands. I'm he- here waiting for him for six months and I see him on TV and I don't know what's going on. So she goes to Macau by herself, gets into some shenanigans over there, meets this girl who's a fellow Korean who gets her out of a sticky situation and they become like fast friends. And then Junpyu, F4 shows up, then Junpyu breaks up with Jandi. Right. And you find out right after that his mother was pushing him to break ties because it's what he should do as the new chairman of Xinhua. And otherwise, she will ruin Jandi and run her out of Korea, basically. <laughs> so she guilts and coerces Junpyu to cut ties. I can't, like, this is kind of par for the course at this point. Like, she already hired a high schooler to kidnap Jandi. It makes very much sense that she would be like, you need to officially cut ties and break up with this girl or else I'll do more harm, which is crazy. She then secretly orchestrates an arranged marriage with an even larger conglomerate to try right. and stave off 
Xinhua business problems and stabilize the company, which is a very interesting common problem that a lot of large conglomerates and companies and rich families have in K-drama is that somehow their empire is unstable. Crumbling down Mm -hmm. in order to salvage it, try Mm -hmm. to partner with another one. Exactly. So it's basically like a marriage of convenience and... It's a complete shock for everybody when she invites Jandi to Junpyu's birthday party where she announces the engagement, completely blindsides her own son. Right. And then gloats in front of a bunch of teenagers, including F4 and Jandi, <laughs> humiliates her by making sure she feels insignificant and out of her depth. My favorite part <laughs> is that she calls out Jandi at the party to play a song on the piano surprise Jandi actually knows how to play the piano and sings the most depressing song ever at this birthday party so it's a weird shift where Jandi is actually toe-to-toe with a mom at that point yeah where she's like okay I'll play and like she pulls out her song on the on the piano because they never make any hint of it early on they never make a single hint of it at all she's a swimmer yeah. yeah, that that's what I knew about her, that she could mm-hmm. swim. Yeah. So Jandi's parents have fallen into such financial ruin that they move out of the city to the country to scratch a living near an uncle who's in the fish market. And Jandi is left to fend for herself and her brother in Seoul. Right. They keep a small apartment pretty much to so that way she can continue going to school and all that. And her brother can still go to school yeah. and stuff. Which to me is very much like, I don't want to go to like the middle of nowhere, like Idaho or whatever. I want to stay near New York or whatever and go to a prestigious school in New York. Right. That will, you know, get me the best chance of having a future. Versus I graduated from like no name, whatever town. Right, exactly. And went to this high school. So (laughs) the mom finds out. That she is living next door to Junpyu because he rents the apartment next door. So Mamagu bulldozes the apartment building where Jandi and her brother now live. The day after F4 and company renovate the space. Jandi is forced to send her brother out of the city to live with her impoverished parents in the country. So now she's alone in the city. And I believe this is where I have dropped off. Okay. So you're up to this point. Pretty much. Because I remember all of this right up until the demolishing part. Okay. So, wow. You're <laughs> freak. You're missing a lot. So here's what happened. <sighs> Crap. Okay. So she ends up going to live in Junpyu's estate because the sister, Junpyu's sister, comes back into the picture and is like, hey, how are you doing? Let's go out. She's basically homeless at this point. And right. the sister, Junpyu's sister, is like, okay, why don't you come live in the house as my guest? The, our mom is never here. You can just live here until you get back on your feet. You're my guest. And Jandi is like, okay, but I don't want to stay here for free. Like, put me to work. I'll work. So she ends up becoming a maid <laughs> in Junpyu's household, which is a complete surprise to Junpyu. Jandi has an ally in the matriarchal um housekeeper okay 
who has a lot of authority and actually the grandfather, the goo grandfather or whatever, put it in his will that she has final authority and say over the household. Right. Okay. So she has a lot of clout within the house. And so she's like, fine, I'll, you're going to be my apprentice. I'm going to teach you the ways of, of, you know, housekeeping or whatever. And you'll be my um, right hand maid or whatever. Um, you know, obviously she gets closer with Junpyu. They kind of rekindle their romance. They still have feelings for each other. She's basically waking him up in the morning because the maids go in and like do a wake up call. And he's like a lazy ass and doesn't want to get up. So she wakes him up and shit like that happens. The mom finds out. That she's there. Right. So she comes back and she's like, what are you doing here? Right. And there's this whole showdown between the mom and the matriarchal housemaid. Zark. Housekeeper. Housekeeper. Yes. Um, Jandi ends up getting kicked out of the manor eventually. And she ends up living at Jihu's house. So violin boy's house. And if you recall, there was this whole subplot <laughs> with, with um, violin boy's grandfather. Yeah. Yes. So Jandi at some point starts volunteering at this local clinic, medical clinic. Okay. And wow, did you get to this part even? I no. I'm no. It's not ringing a bell. Okay. So even before that, (laughs) she works part time at a porridge shop. That I know. Okay. There was an old man who came in and was ordering things off the menu. Off menu items. Yes. Specialty items. Yes, okay. He ends up being a former president. And his grandson is Violin Boy. And they had this whole falling out because of the accident that his parents had. And the grandpa felt responsible and so never initiated a relationship with his grandson who was basically left to fend for himself in a life of luxury. Oh my God. (laughs) So the former president is a doctor. Of course. And he roams around Seoul committing good deeds and being a doctor and no one as a good basically Samaritan harasses. As a good Samaritan, nobody kind of brings up that he's a former president. And oh. Jandi starts volunteering at his clinic. And so she basically gets that family back together and helps them reconcile after all of these years. Even so this when in I the say game, they're, introducing they're still, oh still freaking going, bro. So <laughs> she ends up living at the house at Violin Boy's house with the grandfather who is she also brought to live at the house. Right. So she lives there for a bit. And the marriage agreement, which they're still pushing hard for Junpyu to go through with this huge marriage with homegirl. Yeah. I'm going to call her homegirl because I forgot her name. Right. But the other conglomerate's daughter other and conglomerate she met daughter. her. She met John D. in Macau. Right. So that's a whole thing. Like that's a whole other love triangle because Junpyu loves John D. John D. loves Junpyu. Nobody loves homegirl. <laughs> and homegirl is basically finds out that Junpyu and John D. are an item, have a thing. And she also is allowed to stay in Junpyu's estate. And like live in the house as well as kind of like to even the playing field between the two love interests so, of Junpyu. So she's living in the estate. So she as lived well in the estate Jandi. as well as at the same time as Jandi. But then Jandi got kicked out, right? Because yeah. so I mean, there was even a point where 
uh, homegirl calls her into her room at the estate and she's got her wedding dress on. And it's just <laughs> like, you're just like, oh my God. You just fell over, basically. And it's like this moment where it's like, what do you think of the dress? And Chandi's like, it looks beautiful. Like Being a dick. Yeah, she's being okay. a dick. So like she turns into this mega witch about the whole thing and really tries to almost play dirty and go for like the low shots in uh, in this whole battle, which is not really battle, but you know what I'm saying? I know what you mean. Um, anyway, she calls off the wedding at the last minute. They go to Jeju Island to have this whole ceremony, which is actually very small and reasonable of a wedding. Okay. Even though it's between two conglomerates, it wasn't that like this crazy big affair. I think it was more because he wasn't in love with her in reality. Well, they pushed up the wedding and so they did it at like this hotel in Jeju Island. And she calls off the wedding at the last minute. Look at her. And they kind of get back together and him him and Jandi are like on cloud nine, basically take the honeymoon that he would have had with homegirl and they kind of have like this they don't have sex or anything but it's just like they're together finally there's like this sigh all the drama's kind of been let out and then mama goo comes in again in retaliation for the dissolution of the marriage arrangement she attacks jews charitable foundation so violin boy has this charitable foundation that's basically his family's legacy and she goes after the foundation and it causes the old man, the doctor, the former president to have like a patatung and he ends up in the hospital and he's like not doing well. And then the friend for Jandi, like she works part time as well in the porridge shop with her. That yeah. friend, her father loses his job after a 20 year tenure and it's also Mama Goo's fault. So she's actually now going after not Jandi directly, but her family and friends. Right. So to get the abuse to stop, Jandi is forced to disappear. She's like, fine, I'm going to just disappear from Seoul. I'm going to go like leave his life, Junpyu's life, and like give you what you want, basically. Um, Drop out of uh, Shinwa High and go back to live with my family on the coast. So that's what she does. Um... And from there, Violin Boy finds her. She's basically off the map. Right. They can't find her. There's no, like, you know, geotag of where she is. He <laughs> sees her on, like, a news broadcast for, like, the fish market. And she's back there, like, selling fish. <laughs> and he sees her. And he's like, oh, my God. So they go. Everybody basically converges on this small fishing town. Okay. And... um from there, she um, she basically ends up becoming a caregiver for Junpyu's dad, who ends up not being dead. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So she ends up like, he's bedridden, basically a vegetable. So she he, comes he in he and never like... never died. Let me just no, make sure that no, I... No, that I, was a whole like thing. Okay. So Mama Goo ends up basically lying to the world and her own children about their father's death. He's actually in a coma. Okay. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, Junpyu is like, we're going to be together. That's that. And Mama Goo basically loses all of her cards. All of her playing cards. Okay. 
Yeah, because and she's got nothing else to. She basically starts or, focusing. Yeah. yeah, she basically starts focusing on the dad instead of her children, who she's basically tortured for all of their lives. Um, and Junpyu was like, "Okay, we're gonna be together. Let's do this. Like, let's just get married." And Jandi's like, <laughs> "Your eyebrows went up. You're like, what?" <laughs> and she's like, "Well, I have things I want to do." You know, I want to go to school. I want to do this. I have a passion for, you know, the medical field. I want to be a doctor. And he's like, okay, well, we should get married. She goes, if you come back in, I want to say five years. It was like a few years. He goes, she goes, if you come back in five years and you're a great man, if you saved Shinwa, the conglomerate from ruin and you're, you know, amazing, you're stellar, I will consider like marrying you time jump she's now like volunteering as a you know a resident still in school um violin boy is also like a senior (laughs) about to graduate and be a doctor and he's also on this like volunteer trip june pew is a great man has you know staved off financial ruin from shinwa group is now you know fully in control of the group his mother stepped down as chairman um and he comes for her. He just like goes to this coastal town where they're like administering like free medical care. And he like comes on and he's like, okay, let's do it. He proposes on the beach. And she never says yes. She's just like kind of happy that he's there. And then all of F4 converge on the beach. And oh my God. they're just all together like staring out to the open sea and like the sunset. And they're all happy and smiling. And that's the end of the show. Like you just assume that, that they, they get, get married, married and yeah. they they're happy together and it's just a happy ending and everyone's okay. Um, I'm skipping over a lot of subplot, and I do yeah, want to say that this show is stuffed with subplot. Oh my god, yes, too just, much subplot. Just, All of the other F4 members have some drama going on with right, them, and I feel like randomly. they didn't they didn't need that. No, like one of the F4 members, the pottery one. Like yes. he has an issue with his father. He doesn't want to become like his father yes. uh, because like he's a womanizer, but then that's how he treats girls. And Yeah. So he's falling into the same yeah, pattern. Yeah. There's like too much. He's got a on. whole first love drama too. Yeah, and he does. the best friend, Kaul, she works in the potter in the porridge shop with Jandi. And there's this whole thing where she like wants to be with him and likes him, but he's like, no, I'm damaged and like has his own issues and is still hung up yeah, on his stuff. It's there's just a lot stupid. Going on. There's so much going on and there's so much that I left out that we left out. And like it doesn't need it. I think the show is way too long. It could have been just 20 episodes or 16 episodes and it would have been way tighter yeah. and way simpler. But no, like it went too long. It went 25 episodes and then that's like. I can't remember Oof. who said it, but there there's a common phrase when it comes to like when you're creating stories or when you're writing a script. It's like, uh, don't use seven words when four words will do. Mm. Uh, there's no need to extend something if it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like a lot of this was just unnecessary filler to yeah. the main storyline, because like mm-hmm. you said, we could have. If you cut out a lot of that subplot, you get down to 20, you get a tight story. Yeah. Uh, And that could lend itself to maybe 
like you you really focus on the arcs that need to be focused on mm-hmm. and you, since you don't have time to stray away with a subplot yeah it really focuses your energy as a writer storyteller hey we need to make this like really good because yeah. this is what the audience is going to watch and that's the only thing they're the going to see the best part of the show is Jandi and Junpyu and maybe the love triangle with Violin Boy. And that's right. basically the strongest part of the show. And it everything is. else is None. really distracting and not as compelling. And especially for a show that every episode is an hour. It's not an American no. hour where it's really 42 minutes. No, no, no. No, it it's is an hour. An hour like straight up. And so that is a lot of time Mm -hmm. to devote to, you know, these subplots (laughs) that don't mean anything in the end. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, yeah, those were turnoffs for me. Uh, Just randomly having new characters show up so late in the game Mm -hmm. also is, is so counterintuitive to storytelling. Right. It, it just does not make sense to introduce a character so late to for a subplot and then they're gone. Uh, yeah. Positives. I want to speak at least some positives because I feel like I've been very <laughs> negative about the show and I don't want to come off as, you know, I guess I don't know what to say really in terms of how I want to come off. But so I will say that there is chemistry among the characters. The chemistry mm-hmm. is there, whether they're bickering or fighting or whether they're trying to flirt or are they're trying to engage in, you know, some dialogue. The chemistry is there between the members of F4 and Jandi. Like she mm-hmm. she can mix and match with anyone on the show, regardless of how she's doing it, whether she's yelling or anything like that. But <laughs> outside of that. She she does have good chemistry with everyone that she mm-hmm. works with. It really feels like she did tame them and that she's friends with them and they care yeah. for her. And also, uh, the actor who plays Jumpyo, uh, Jumpyo, Lee Min Ho, Lee, Lee Min Ho, <laughs> like he, he does have this character, like this, I guess this trait, this star quality to him. Like yes. when he's on screen, like you do pay attention to him. Because he does have a presence to him. Mm-hmm. So uh, give props to if this was his first or, you know, early on, really. Yeah, it is. Then props to the casting, props to uh, the storytellers, like for nailing that and mm-hmm. really putting a focus on knowing that he was like he's a star and he really. He is a star. To- and I I purposely didn't put more Lehman Ho um shows on our docket because we could just spend the whole show like talking about the right. Ho shows. Um, but if we have a season two, we can certainly explore more of his filmography or, you know, TV shows because he's great. You know, city Hunter, fantastic personal taste, classic. Um, some of the shows that he he's been in since have gone on to be really famous. Right. And he's extremely famous now as well today so and heirs and or inheritors as they like to call it these are really popular shows he is a star got it but boys over flowers is still leaps and bounds more iconic and famous than the rest so i think that might put a wrap on yes. 
boys over flowers. I don't think you would like to dwell on it any more than you have to. No, because, again, (laughs) and I apologize to the people who have watched the show, enjoy the show. Um, You know, if, if you like the show, that's great. It's just that it did not capture me in the way that I thought it would. I thought it was going to go in one direction and then there were so many different side plots and so I many really, different things. I really feel like I put you in at the deep end because this show is such an acquired taste for someone who's never watched a K-drama and it it's hard to say that also knowing that it is a gateway drug for a K-drama like it right. was for me. A lot of people are enticed into watching more K-drama after getting their feet wet with Boys Over Flowers, which is like worst case like scenario. <laughs> like the- Yeah, my my brother was he he watches uh K-dramas. He's been on the show before he, on the always the critic show. Uh Miguel and he knows about Boys About Flowers. He has watched the Boys, bo- Boys Over Flowers. Sorry, he has watched it as well. And I guess he was surprised that that's the one we were going to start with. Yeah. Uh, he was surprised, like not because we were doing it, but because that's the one we were starting with. Uh, because I guess he knows the importance of Boys Over Flowers as an influence or as such mm-hmm. a cultural t- touch point uh, to the point that I had even heard of the title boys over flowers before you know even diving into anything so yeah so i i can understand its importance yes with that i'm said, just so sorry I, yeah with that said with that said i just ugh. had a i had a hard time but i'm ready to see what we have next for sure yes please don't let this deter you i'm sure we'll like a show and we'll rave about it but boys over flowers Ooh, weak link. All right. Are you? I think we're good. I think we're good, good too. Yes. All right. Well, that's our show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Rico. And this has been ATC Presents Daybot K Rambles Podcast. (laughs) 